Before we get into things this morning, I want to give a few uh, staff updates to kind of keep everybody on the same track here. Uh, last week, as you know, we were in Normal, Illinois at Grace Church. I preached at both of their services, and then we had a, a lunch and then a question and answer time, and then the church met again in the evening, and they had their vote. And they did vote. It was a strong affirmation of my calling to go to Grace, and I did accept it last Sunday. Um, I've shared that with some of you personally, and I can only say um, how, again, how encouraging it is to me to receive your support in this. Uh, when I shared it with the board on Monday night, uh, at the end of that board meeting, they gathered around me and prayed over me and for my future ministry in Illinois. And uh, that's just, that, that is a blessing and a grace that I am so thankful for to have received from this church. Uh, as far as starting dates go, uh, I think some of that will depend on housing. Uh, we have an offer going in on a house, and we'll look to see when closing can be. I'm still thinking it'll be probably the, the, the very end of November, beginning of December, maybe even looking at December 3rd as a starting date. Uh, that, none of that's in stone. It's just what we're trying to figure out as we go. But I want to keep you as informed as I can of the, of the process that we're in. Um, the other part of this is... Uh, this week, I just received uh, Cindy Pico's resignation. I don't know if she's here today. Maybe she's not. I'm going to talk about her. She's not. Okay. So um, if you know, yeah, Cindy is, is the sweetest person you will ever meet in your life, you know, and uh, she keeps this ch- church so, so clean and, and not a complaint. You know, she just, she just does it. Uh, she has, she's in a new season of life herself, and, and she's, she and Art will be moving down to West Chicago where she's going to work for her daughter and take care of the, the grandkids. So that's what they're doing. Uh, they're not selling their house. They want to get back here, and they want to keep seeing people. Uh, so they want to keep their connections here at Three Lakes Church. But she felt like this is what they needed to do with the family, for the family, uh, as they are in the, in the Chicago area. So um, I asked her if I could share that with all of you. Uh, it is a paid position, so that, that'll be her, her work, actually. So, and I asked if I could, I could share that all with you today, and she said that was fine. So would you be praying for her as well as she transitions? Now, and her and Art. Now, the other part of this, then, is uh, since we'll need to look for a custodian, if you remember back in May, was it April, May, we talked about uh, getting a maintenance person for the church to do some of the maintenance work, um, and we have not done that yet. So what the board has been talking about is hiring a person to do the compo- combined janitorial and maintenance work for the church. So hiring one individual to do both of those jobs. So if you are interested in that or if you know somebody that is, let us know and, and we'll uh, pursue that. I have job descriptions outside the church office, but we are looking for a unique position there, somebody that can do both janitorial work, so the cleaning work, but also do some maintenance work for the church as well. And so that's reflected in greater detail downstairs. I'll let you look at that if you would like. There's copies um, down there for you to look at. Um, the other thing is I've been doing job interviews for the church secretary position I have not interviewed anybody that I feel like um, giving the job to. I'll just put it that way. Um, great people, great people, and gifted people, but I don't think it's the right fit for what we're looking for. So that has not been filled yet either. So, again, if, if anybody is thinking about that, let me know. Um, I have, I have uh, 
kind of put that out there online. So I've gotten people from outside the church that I've been interviewing in the last few weeks. The other thing is, um, Cammie Stewart has been, Ian's wife has been filling in a couple days a week. Uh, she's the one that's putting together the bulletin. And so uh, it could be at this, at this point right now that we're in as a church, it might be that I need somebody more quickly to maybe put in two days a week. So maybe if you're kind of like, I don't know about the four days a week thing, you know, maybe if it's a two day, just for a season of time, and you feel like that would be a good thing for you, come talk to me. Um, I, think, I think it's always ideal to fill it with somebody from the church that kind of gets what's going on here. And that would be a good thing. So let me know. We'll be praying about that. And, uh, you know, that'll be a good thing for our church as we look for those positions to be filled. So please pray. Please pray about those things. I know I've said that before, but please keep doing that. Um, okay. So I think that's my announcement. So now I want to I want to preach a little bit. So grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke 4. If you're in uh, one of our community groups this fall, the, the topic is spiritual gifts for liberation. Spiritual gifts for liber- liberation. Now, this, this topic is, <clears throat> I think it's a little controversial in, in the American church today. But as usual, I feel like every time I bring up controversial topics here, everybody just... They just deal with it, you know, and we do well talking about this stuff together. And I think that's a, that's a huge blessing to be able to talk as a church about these kind of things. So a few weeks ago we did the miracle gifts. We had a great conversation in cross-training after that. And I think it's going to be the same way today. I was reminded that this can be a controversial topic. Just a few weeks ago I was uh, made aware that I think in either September or October, this fall, there was a statement b- released by a segment of the American church, uh, that is, different pastors got together, maybe some scholars, and they released a statement called the Dallas Statement. Now, I wanted to put parts of the Dallas Statement up on the screen, but I thought, it's a big statement, and I'd have to pick and choose what I would talk about, and maybe that wouldn't be fair. So if you write down Dallas Statement, if you want to check that out later, um, John MacArthur is part of that deal in helping write it. And in any case... It's, it's a statement that deals with how does the church relate to social justice causes? How do we relate to social justice causes? And so the statement goes through a lot of what we believe and we would all agree on. You know, like everyone is made in the image of God. You know, like, like we all agree on that. And so whatever else you bring to the table as far as your ethnicity, as far as your gender, like that doesn't add to or take away from the image of God in you, right? I mean, we would all like say amen to that. And then it deals with some other stuff with, with race and with uh, different social causes. And, and some of it I think is very like right on, accurate, truthful. Some of it like I wish maybe was said a little differently. Uh, I read it and I'm not sure that I, I hear a compassionate tone. I definitely hear a truthful tone, but I wonder about the, about the compassionate tone. And so I, has, I, I myself didn't sign it. Like pastors across the country and I'm sure across the world can, can sign the statement saying I affirm it. And there's a lot in it that I do affirm. But I do wonder, like, what, what does the church do with social justice? I know there's, with that statement, there was this great desire to say the church is about the gospel and, and, and we want to be very cautious 
about taking up social justice causes. I think that was kind of some of the, the ideas behind it. When I think of the word social justice, though, when you think of the word social justice, does a positive thing come to mind, or is it negative for you? I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. It might give away a little too much about you, right? Right? Um, I'm not going to take a poll, but for some of us, you hear that term, and, and it makes you think like, yes, we got to be we got to be helping people. We got to be making sure people have equal opportunities in this country. Other people are like, this this is for the. This is for the, the, these people on, on the, with this political agenda that I don't agree with and the stuff that they're pushing in this country, and it drives you crazy. And so I, I feel like this, this term is charged, right? And even using it in the Dallas statement, it's like people are going to look at this and they come with all sorts of baggage with that, with that term. I think it's kind of like, oh, never mind, I'm not going to use that term. I, not going to do that. Okay. So let, let me let me try to define social justice. Let me let me try to put it out there and say, you know, maybe this is the kind of thing we're talking about. I lot, I read a lot of different definitions this week. It's kind of like the definition of leadership. It's like how do you define it? You know, there's all the there's like hundreds and hundreds of definitions, but uh here's one that I thought was pretty accurate to what I think how we use it. What is social justice? Social justice is the fair, moral, and impartial treatment of all persons, especially in law, includes the concepts of right relationships and equitable distribution of resources. Now, even with a statement like that, which came from the Reformed Church in America, I read a lot of them, okay? I like this one. I think it kind of captures a lot of the main ideas. Uh, I, I'm not saying I agree with every single part and every, every word is right. Like, um, the first sentence, for instance, like, fair, moral, impartial treatment. I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, image of God. Treat people fairly, morally, and impartially. That's what we want. What does it mean, though, to have the equitable distribution of resources? Like, what does that mean? How does the government promote the equitable distribution of resources? Like, these are the things, like, we disagree on in the church. This will start an argument, right? You bring this up over Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, you don't know where it's going to go, right? Um, so, even a statement like this leaves so much unsaid that it's difficult to say, well, that, that, that's where we're at. You know, we believe in that or we don't believe in that. It's just, it's just kind of hard. But maybe, maybe the thing that strikes me the, the hardest in this whole conversation, the thing that grabs my heart and I hope grabs your heart in the strongest way is this. I'm asking myself, is the church primarily just responding to culture in matters of justice? Like, are, are, are we just supposed to look at culture and say, you tell us what to do and, and, and we'll do that? You know, we're signing on for whatever agenda you've got. Is that the church or are we missing biblical justice as a concept? You know what I mean? Like, are, are we missing it? Because you can't tell me that the Bible has nothing to say about justice. You can't tell me that. It's all over the place. It's in the text we're going to look at this morning. Biblical justice. And so in some ways, I'm not saying our culture is wrong in everything that they say about social justice. I question parts of it. And, and other stuff, I'm like, they're probably right on with this stuff, you know. What do I do with it? 
I, I would go back to the text and look at our God, who's a father to the fatherless, the one that helps widows. This is the way God is describing himself. I am the father to the fatherless. That's who I am. He cares about vulnerable people. And so I'm just saying, if we care about God's heart, wouldn't the church be leading the way in quote-unquote social justice causes? Because we see them not as necessarily social justice causes. We would see them as biblical justice causes. And we care about those things. So I want to give you two words to kind of get at this biblical justice idea. These are two Hebrew words. I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I read people that are. And so I want to give you both of these. And I'm giving you uh, Pastor Tim Keller's uh, description of each of these words. I think, I think they're helpful in getting at what this is about. Biblical justice. So one word for justice is mishpat. Mishpat is a Hebrew word, again, mishpat, and he defines it as giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or care. Punishment, protection, or care. The the idea behind mishpat is very much like a legal thing. It's like when you open the Old Testament, you're going to read a lot of laws. Like, Like, if you've ever started reading the Bible and you start in Genesis, like, it's all going really well, you know? And Exodus is pretty good. Then you get to like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you're tempted to quit. Because it's like law after law after law. And it's like, how do I, how do I read all of these laws? And they're good. Like, I, I, you know, I can appreciate reading through them, and I hope we all can at some, at, at some level. But, and I think they're good to read through too. But when I get at these laws, this mishpat, what I'm reading is God wants everybody treated equally and fairly. Like when, when, when God says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the idea behind that is, like, if someone steals from you, you can't kill them. You know, that would not be eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's not equitable. That's not just. It's not fair. You can't take a life for theft. So, so when it comes to mishpat, we're talking legality. We're talking about how do we enforce justice. We're also talking about how do we have laws that protect innocent people. How do we have laws, you know, uh, and, and you know some of these laws, right? It's like even how you harvest your fields back then was important. Will you leave the edges so that the immigrants among you can, can eat, can get part of the harvest? You've got to leave some behind. This is part of the story of Ruth and Boaz that we love so much. So, so laws do take into consideration, just laws take into consideration people groups that are vulnerable like immigrants. I think, I, I think there's like four main groups. There's orphans, there's widows, there's poor people, and there's immigrants. Like, like, like those are four major categories. I'll say them again. Uh, the poor, the immigrants, the orphans, the widows. Like, like you, when you read the Old Testament, those four groups just stand out in a big way. It, if we were looking at those issues today, we might add the refugee some single parents. We, we, we might add other, others to the list, right? To that, to that group of people that we would say uh, might need laws to help protect them in whatever they're doing. So uh, mishpat, love that word, and it's often translated justice. Um, now we have the second word, a little hard to say, uh, zadakah, zadakah, emphasis on the last syllable there, zadakah. 
And that word is often translated righteous. Righteous. Now, when you think of the word righteous, you probably often think about doing the right thing. And you would be correct. You'd be right on that. We, we often think of like personal morality, like if the boss asked me a question, I should tell the total and honest truth. You know, I, 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 sh- I should tell the truth if I'm asked a question and not embellish, not lie. That is righteous. So we often think of righteous as kind of like, how do I, how do I deal with, with, with people in, in a way that is, is moral? But Zadokah would be a very comprehensive day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. So even giving to the poor would be zadakah. Like remember when Jesus says, be careful not to do your righteousness? That's a, that's a Greek word, by the way, when he uses it. But it comes from that idea right there. Be careful not to do your righteousness before men, you know, because they're going to see you and praise you and you've received your reward in full. Like giving to the poor is not just something we do out of charity. It's something we're expected to do. Like, if you have more than what you need, you should give to those who don't have what they need, right? I mean, that's just, that's just a biblical concept. That's what you're supposed to do. That is righteous. I think of, like, James when he says, anyone who knows the good he should do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin, Right? So, so if I know I'm supposed to be doing something and I don't do it, that's sin. And so there is an obligation to take care of people in society that are having a difficult time. The idea would be, if we did Zadokah perfectly, you wouldn't need Mishpat. Right? Because you would be living in, you'd be living in such a righteous way, helping people, loving people, good relationships, that there wouldn't be the need for the law to come in and enforce it. Okay, so, what I love about this is that off, at, least, at least 12 times in the Old Testament, those two words are linked. I think Psalm 36.6 is one of those times. Um, maybe I'll read that real quick so you can see it. Psalm 36.6 goes like this. Your righteousness, Zadokah, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice, Mishpat, your justice is like the great deep. So, so God is described as a just God, and he's described as a righteous God, and his righteousness is huge, and his justice is deep. And so we're supposed to be like him. So I, I just feel like we've given so much away when we're asking the culture to tell us what we're supposed to care about. When God has told us what to care about, he hasn't left it to be like weird and strange, you know, like how how do we figure this thing out? But that doesn't mean that when people talk about social justice in in our culture that I say, ah, it's not biblical, I, I don't do that either. I look to see if what they're telling me is biblical. I look to see if what they're promoting is true mishpat or zadokah. Does that fit those categories? And I don't care what source it comes from. If it's righteous, it's righteous. If it's just, it's just. But I compare it to Scripture. Okay. Hopefully that diffuses some of our 
hang-ups if, if you have a hang-up with social justice, okay? Um, I think we need to look at biblical justice. That's where we need to go with this. So if you're looking at your Bibles, hopefully still you've got Luke 4 open and you've wondered when in the world I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it, okay? So uh, Luke chapter 4, and we are going to start in verse, uh, let's do verse 14. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, okay? This is Luke saying, this is where it all starts, After Jesus' temptation, this is verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. So this is a homecoming passage, okay? It's homecoming, and here he is. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So you've got to love this, you know, and I'm going to get to the rest of the story in a minute, but you've got to love this. Jesus is back home, it's homecoming, you walk in, you've come back to the place where you grew up, and they're like, hey, it's Joe's boy, you know, he's going to come and he's going to read. And Jesus reads, and, and the surprising thing is, it's kind of a short reading, you know, it's kind of like, you probably read longer normally if, if you're going to open the scroll up and read for all the people to hear. Not everybody has their own scrolls of the scriptures, right? And so he reads this small portion of Isaiah 61, he even cuts it short, Shorter than it needs to be, really, because he doesn't keep reading and get to the judgment part. If you ever go to Isaiah 61, you'll read that, that there's this anointed conqueror. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news. So, so this anointed conqueror comes in. He's preaching good news to people. He's freeing captives. And then there's the part Jesus doesn't read where it says he's, he's bringing judgment, you know. And Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to pay the price for judgment, right? He came to die for us. So he doesn't read that part. And everybody loves what he's doing so far, you know? I mean, it's like he says, and there's kind of like this pause after he reads. And everybody's looking at him. What's he going to say? What's the boy we all knew from, you know, from from 20, 30 years ago going to tell us? He says, today, this is fulfilled. Today, this happens. And so far, again, they kind of like what they're hearing. Now, what I want to do in the next few minutes is talk about what this passage has to do with justice. Okay? What is Isaiah, what is Jesus saying about justice? Okay? So, number one, if we can pull that up. Would you, would you look at the verbs that Jesus uses when he reads Isaiah? I mean, he's not using them. Isaiah is using them, but in a sense, he is using them because he's the author of all Scripture in that sense. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. There's a verb. Preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. There's a verb. 
to proclaim freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release, there's a verb, release the oppressed, and verse 19, to proclaim, there's a verb, the year of the Lord's favor. So I, I just read this and I'm looking at verbs. I see proclaim. I see preach the gospel. Euangelizo. Euangelizo. I'm a little better with Greek. Euangelizo is the proclaim the gospel. And then a few times he uses the word caruso, proclaim, proclaim. And he's using these words to say, I'm here to preach, proclaim the good news. And so I've heard this passage preached. I've seen people blog about it, write about it. And they say this is one of the main social justice passages of Scripture, right? But I look at the words, I look at the verbs, and I see that Jesus is primarily concerned about his mission being proclamation. Uh, Three out of the four verbs, right? Three out of the four verbs are speaking verbs. I'm talking. Those of you that like to talk will really be into this, right? You know, this this is you, right? Um, Those of you that get to evangelism, like you're like, yeah, this is me. Um, Jesus' ministry was proclamation primarily, physical provision secondarily. Now, this is interesting because Jesus does come to heal people, uh, take care of people. But even as I read this, Jesus, in a minute, they're going to say, um, they're going to want a sign from Jesus, like heal somebody. Show us who you are. You know, heal somebody. And Jesus is going to call him out on that in just a minute. I'm not there yet. But I just want to say this. Jesus is not performing miracles in his hometown because in a minute you're going to see they're kind of hard-hearted. You know, they're not really with him on this. And so, Jesus didn't heal everybody, right? Some places he didn't go because they didn't believe. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't do that for everybody. But there was a primary purpose of, of proclamation. I've got to share the gospel. I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom. And I think as a church, we've got, we got to grapple with that and say, if Jesus' primary mission was proclamation, this is our primary mission as well. The church does get involved in justice causes. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But let us never, ever, ever forget the primary reason we are here is to share the gospel with a lost world. Maybe I've told this story before. I never get tired of saying it. Um, I was with a major Christian organization that did a, um, what would you call it? They really, they had this training thing for teenagers, and they had like a, they overhauled all the material. And so it used to be that you would go to this training site, we went to Chicago, and you would learn how to share your faith. You would learn about roadblocks people have. You would learn apologetics. And I'd always take teenagers to it, you know, they would learn how to share their faith. They would learn things stopping people from accepting Christ, and think all that stuff through. They overhauled all the material. And the year that we came back to it, after they overhauled it, I remember one afternoon, they sent us to clean a park in Chicago. We cleaned it. It's good. Good work. But what I had issue with was we came back together, and the main speaker said, today you shared the gospel wherever you were serving. And I'm thinking, None of my students got into a conversation with anybody while they were cleaning the park. Nobody knew why we were there. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't have cleaned the park. That was a good thing to do. I think that's a great thing to do. But don't tell me we have done our primary ministry of proclamation when we've cleaned a park. You know, it's not not the same thing. And so we need to be careful when we talk about justice causes that we don't want to elevate them to the primary importance. 1 Corinthians 15, what I passed on to you was of first importance. It's the gospel. Now, what I love about Jesus is this. He, He doesn't draw a harsh line between gospel proclamation and material or physical provision, does he? Like, it's not like this harsh line, like, over here we got the proclaimers, you know. You guys are the talkers, we have a hard time shutting you up, you know. You just keep talking, keep sharing the gospel. Over here we have the doers. They don't like talking up front, but they want to get stuff done. By the way, check team, you did great sharing today. I know you're not all talkers up front, but that was really good, right? Um, Some of us are talkers, some of us are doers. Over here the doers are like, we just want to get this stuff done. Jesus doesn't draw like this sharp line between the two and say, put the talkers over here and the doers over here. He says things like, if, if, you don't, if you don't help the needy and the vulnerable, if you don't visit the person in prison, it's like you're not visiting me. You know, when, when you give the cup of cold water, when you give the bread to somebody, you know, and, and in the last day people are going to say, when did we not see you and not feed you? When did we see you naked and not clothe you? And Jesus says, when you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. So depart from me. And sometimes you read Jesus and you're like, I'm a little shocked because somehow you tie very closely faith and action. Almost making them inseparable, right? And so I'm not putting the proclaimers over here and the doers over here. Jesus kind of mixes it all up and says, if if you're a believer, you're going to be a doer. If you're a believer, you're going to care about the vulnerable. You're going to give the cup of cold water. He doesn't draw harsh lines. So even as I say this about primary, the primary thing is gospel, I say it cautiously and carefully. I love that the EFCA has this in their statement of faith. Next slide. Um, this is part of statement eight. Uh, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. That's in our statement of faith. This is what we're called to be. And it might not be the gospel proclamation, but it is tied so closely to it that if we don't do the one, how can we be credible in the other in the eyes of the world, right? We care about getting you saved, but we don't, we don't care about if you really are doing okay in life. Just get saved. You know, um, we care about both things. So that's the verbs. Uh, so can I lead into num- point number two? I'm looking at the nouns here, okay? I'm looking at the nouns. Here's the nouns. He's anointed me to preach good news to who? It's the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for who? The prisoners. Recovery of sight for who? The blind. To release who? The oppressed. I'm just looking at nouns now. The first one point was verbs. Now I'm doing the nouns. Jesus' ministry had a distinct focus on the needy and the vulnerable. By the way, chronologically, uh, this whole time in Nazareth and the reading, Luke moves that to the front of his gospel, just to be clear. 
Because he wants you to see this. He wants you to see this is Jesus' purpose. Chronologically, it didn't happen right after the temptation. You know, it's, it's a little later. And I think you see that a little bit with the Galilee talk in verse um, 1, I think. Or no, verse 14. Can I show you a couple things in Luke that I think he wants us to, to get as we're leading up to this statement? If you look at Luke 1, this is Mary. Sometimes we talk about this at Christmas. Mary's pregnant with Jesus. And look at what she says. Uh, this is Luke 1, 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. God has a special heart, and Luke calls it out. God has a special heart for poor people, for oppressed people. And then you get to John the Baptist. If you look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist comes onto the scene, and let's go with verse 8. He's preaching fiery sermons, and he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. You're like, man, the axe is at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown to the fire. And you're like, oh my goodness, he's preaching hellfire and brimstone, you know? And so the crowd says, what should we do? And John has in mind, do justice, do mishpat, right? Um, He says, um, verse 11, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. No one's going to force you to do that, but you should. Someone doesn't have what they need, would you share what you've got? No one's going to stand over you and the government's not going to make you do it, nor do I think that they should necessarily make you give your clothing away. Um, But you should. And the one who has food should do the same. The tax collectors came and they were baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. Then the soldiers asked him, what should we do? Don't extort money. That's probably actually against the law, I'm assuming. And don't accuse people falsely. Definitely against the law. Be content with your pay. You know? I mean, do mishpat. Obey the law. Don't take advantage of people. Don't use your position to get yourself ahead while you take advantage of those underneath you. Do mishpat. Just do it. Um, would you ever dare say to a Christian leader, tell me what to do? Tell me what to do. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. Tell me what to do. I work over here doing this job. Tell me what to do. Would you ever dare to ask a Christian leader what you should do and then let them just say whatever they want? And that's how cut to the heart people were. How do we respond to our neighbors in a way that is right and just? I don't know that I feel the burden the way they felt the burden when I see poor people, when I see people hurting. When I'm cut to the heart, I don't know that I'm asking somebody else that. I'll just I want to ask God that. I'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. Jesus' ministry had a distinct focus on the needy and the vulnerable. Luke calls it out. Luke calls it out. Now, I, I think the needy and the vulnerable are not only physically needy. Let's just be clear. I think they're also spiritually needy, right? There's spiritual needs and physical needs. There's both. 
And I don't think when Jesus quotes Isaiah, he only means physically the oppressed. I believe he also means spiritually the oppressed. Um, It's not lost on me, and it shouldn't be lost on you either, that when Jesus says, I came to free the captives, one of the captives, when Jesus said, I came to free the captives, can you name any captive during the life of Jesus that was freed besides Barabbas? I can name one person that wasn't released that was captive. Can you? I hear it. I think I hear it. John the Baptist, who thought he should have been released, the anointed conquerors coming in here, and I'm sitting in prison, the one that announced freedom for the captives, and I'm sitting here languishing. Um, the blind did see. They did see. But some of the captives stayed captives, and some of the poor stayed poor. But they could be made rich with, by God's grace. And John the Baptist could be free, even as he sat in prison, right? Right? There's a physical thing going on here. There's a spiritual thing going on here. And Jesus just kind of mixes them all up because he gives sight to the blind. And he also frees captives from sin. Boy, I'm getting to the end, and I just felt like I started. Okay, um, number th- uh, don't get to number three yet. Ho- hold on there. Hold on. Let's read the end of the passage, and then we'll make some uh, concluding remarks. Um, here we are. So everything's going well, and people are like, yes, conquer, come in here, full of the Spirit, free the captives. We're ready for it. And then Jesus kind of like, well, he kind of ruins everything. Um, verse 23, Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. That is, heal people. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Remember, widows are one of those four categories, right? That God is so close to and he cares about. Um, I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Uh, You can read into that, Gentile, non-Jew, right? And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up and they drove him out of town, and they took him to the brow of a hill on the town, which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. I'd love to know how he did that. Did he look like somebody else? I, I, I don't know. But it says he actually he didn't disappear. He walked through the crowd. I, I don't, someone's going to tell me how he did that. I, I have no idea. Um, but, but everything's going well. And they're like, we like Joe's son. He's for us. You know, he's preaching some good stuff. Preach it, preacher, you know. And then he's like, okay. So um, remember how... Elijah was sent to the widow. Remember the widow story? It's it's the woman, she has a son, and they're about to starve to death. And and, and Elijah says, make me some cake, you know? That's what I'm going to say to one of you today, maybe. Make me some cake, right? I want some cake. And and, and the lady says, uh, I was going to make one more small meal for my son and I, and then we're going to die. And Elijah's like, "Uh, make me that cake. You're not going to die. And then you feed yourself, okay? So she makes the cake, and uh, 
feeds Elijah, feeds them, and the oil and the flour never run out. And the Bible should say she opened a bakery, right? Everybody came from far and wide to eat her cakes that never ran out because they were blessed by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, And Elijah stayed there. And Jesus' point is this. His point is not about the cakes. His point is, who sent Elijah to the widow? And if you look it up in the book of Kings, first or second Kings, I forget which one. If you look it up in Kings, it says, the Spirit of God led Elijah to that widow, and she was not a Jewish person. And that's offensive to a Jewish person. And then he makes it worse, and he says, I'll give you another example if you want. Remember Elisha? There was this guy, there was this, Assyri- this Syrian military commander named Naaman. Uh, Syrian means he's like enemy of Israel. He's a leper. He comes to Israel and wants to be, and he's seeking the prophet that he heard about from his servant girl, because the servant girl is Jewish. You've got to see the prophet in Israel. He'll make you well. So he comes in here, and, and, and Elisha tells him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. And he's like, well, that's stupid. There's rivers everywhere. I can go anywhere I want. Why do I got to do that? The muddy Jordan, right? And uh, the servants say, look, the guy told you to get in the water, and you're going to be healed. Get in the water, for goodness sake. Just do what the man of God says. So he does it, and he's healed. And again, the point being, there's a lot of lepers in Israel at that, that time. And, 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 and the only person Elisha was sent to was the Syrian enemy commander of their military. They're not nice people, okay? Military, they're not nice people. And it even says God gave name and military victory. It says that. Um, okay, number three. Jesus' ministry ticked off all the right people. Jesus' ministry infuriated all the right people. And maybe ours will too at times, right? I'm not trying to make people mad. I want to be gentle and give good answers to people. But, but it infuriated all the right people. And by right, maybe I mean self-righteous people. The religious people who are fakers and playing the games. Infuriated them. Um, and so, when I look at this passage, I know... Jesus' ministry. If, if, you, if you have this feeling that we are the greatest people ever, if you have a feeling about race that goes along those lines, if you have a feeling about ethnicity that goes along those lines, Jesus would challenge that and say, God is for all people. He's for all people people. And whether it's Naaman the Syrian or the widow in Sidon, God is for them. He's for them. He wants to reach them. And so when you see vulnerable people, I don't pretend to know what all of our laws should be, right? But I know that if our heart closes up to those people because they're those people, we've got a huge Bible issue. And Jesus would like to infuriate you with how ethnocentric maybe you are. Not me. I don't want to make you mad. But I'm saying Jesus might want to make you mad. Because, man, he ticked people off and they wanted to run him off the cliff. There's your challenge, church. 
How do you see people that are different than you? That look different than you? That make an amount of money that's different than you? That dress different than you? That think different than you? I'm I'm not sure Naaman is this really nice, squeaky clean guy. I'm really not convinced of that, you know? I, I really don't know, but there it is. Um... And I'm going to close with this. This is why we need people with the spiritual gift of mercy. Because they see people that are different than us. And they love them. And they lead the charge. People with the spiritual gift of mercy are the people you see in nursing homes. helping. The, by the way, the elderly is another category I would put in the, we must think about how we do justice for them, Right? I'd put elderly in that category today. They're the kind of people that see, see people that, let's just face it, they see rough people and rough people come into the church, people with alcohol issues and drug issues, and they start cussing in church, and they're wearing hats for goodness sake. Okay. And, and the mercy, and, and, and the unmerciful people are like, take off your hat, you're in church. And the mercy people are like, I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We want you here. We need mercy people to be mercy people and show us how to do it. You know, nobody comes up to me, really, for the most part, and tells me how to preach. You know? Nobody says, you know, you really should have mixed your points around a little bit, or you really should have emphasized this point a little more, or that introduction, that was a little weak, what would your speech teacher say? Nobody tells me how to do it, you know, and that, that's kind of nice. Um, I think I'd receive it with humility, hopefully, if you didn't. Um, but I, I want to I listen to mercy people, right? I don't want to tell them how to do it. I want to see them in action and know that if I could just be a little more like them, if I could see someone different than me, and then my heart would break the way theirs breaks. When I can talk to somebody that's really annoying, and you know who these people are. These are the annoying people. Don't look at them right now. That wouldn't be appropriate. Um, don't look. Don't look at them. But they, but they take really annoying people, and it's like, God bless them, and I love them, and they do good things for them. And it's like, you just are a different animal than me, you know? Like, I just, I just want to stay away, right? Mercy. Mercy. I don't know how to fix the problem at the border. You know, I'm not pretending to know that. And I'm not trying to tell you what you should think about that. I just know who Jesus' heart is near, and we've got we to gotta figure things out, right? And, and, and when it comes to people that know how to evangelize, these people drive me nuts. I, I, I could be sitting down with a group of people. This has happened. And I'm talking to someone who's not a believer. Like, there's a mixture of believers and unbelievers. And the evangelism person is like, he's going for it. Actually, in this case, I'm thinking it was a she. She's going for it. And she's sharing the gospel with this guy that doesn't know anything, you know. And I'm just like, I just got to know this guy, and you're like all the way down the steps of the Romans Road, you know. Like, what are you doing? Like, I just met him. Stop. Um, and, and she doesn't stop. And then it's like, do you want to receive Christ today? And I'm like, what, what's happening? I'm the pastor. Wait. You know, Stop. Um, I've been scolded by a pastor for, you know, like, you need to be better at sharing the gospel, Nile. You know, I'm like, who are you to tell me, right? You know, and I'm thinking, I tell people every week how they should live spiritually, you know, from the Bible, you know, of course, not just my opinion. Um, 
I gotta listen to the evangelists. See what they're doing, who they talk to, how do they do it. I wanna be more like them, because it's not optional. I've gotta show mercy and I've gotta evangelize. Whether I have that gift or not. And you people that have that gift, you are leading the way, and we are better as a church for it. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. God, we're going to go now, and uh, I'm thankful for everybody that stayed a little bit over time today because I think it's such an important topic for us. And we haven't even touched on the question, what does, what does justice look like in the Northwoods? I'm sure it means going into nursing homes, and I'm sure it means looking for the needy. I'm sure it means looking at people with physical health conditions and doing what we can to love them. Show us. Give us eyes to see us. See it. May the people with mercy lead the charge. May we listen to them well. May we not get caught up in uh, political conversations that really go nowhere, that we can't even solve ourselves, right? But, but help us be so mercy-motivated and so gospel-focused that we get the word out and we show people how much we love them. May we lead the charge well. May we lead the charge Show us the people with these gifts. Help us see what they do and how they do it. And may we as a church listen and jump in and join them. I thank you for everybody here. And I thank you that even as we pray and say amen, that many of them right now are leaving the building and they're going out into their mission field. And some of us are going to stay and talk about even greater ways we can get this done. But may you bless us all as we go and think about what we've heard today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.